IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to IB Talk, the insurance industry's global podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. I'm Paul Lucas, IB's managing editor, and normally when I'm introducing a podcast, I'm talking a little about an industry issue. And yes, we're going to delve into one today with a closer look at the ENS market. But what I really want to do in this introduction is talk about my guest himself. Why? Because in addition to being an expert in the ENS space, he started his own company 25 years ago, one which he is still leading to this day. He's also a member of our Global 100, our annual list of the biggest and most groundbreaking names in the insurance industry. Uh, Yes, that man is the president of Risk Placement Services, or RPS for short, Joel Cavanus. Joel, welcome to IB Talk. Well, thanks, Paul. It's wonderful to be be talking to you today, and I I look very forward to uh, sharing some of my experiences and uh, some of the different things that you want to talk about today. So thank you. Well, let's, let's delve into your experiences, Joel, because like I said at the top there, you've been with RPS now for, for nearly 25 years. But um, tell us a little bit about what you did before that. What, was, what did your career look like prior to RPS? Yeah, well, sure. Well, I, I actually, I wanted to get into the insurance business and that, that probably sounds a little bit strange to some people out there. I, I grew up uh, in the insurance business, my father and, and now my brother. Uh, run a, a family retail insurance agency in a, in uh, downstate Illinois. And of course, the, uh, the intent, uh, back then was to, uh, go, go get some experience in the insurance business and then come back and work in the family business. Uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which side of the uh, fence you're on, uh, that, uh, my, my path ended up, uh, taking a, a very different turn. Uh, and I got, got out of college and I, I began underwriting for a couple of uh, different insurance companies. It was in the uh, early 80s when things were uh, not a whole lot different than they are today in that uh, a very, very changing market environment. It was very, very challenging. A lot of insurance companies were going through a lot of pain. Uh, there was uh, turmoil back then. And uh, one day I, I, I woke up and it was time to, uh, to kind of make a change. Uh, and so I, I went to the retail side, went to the retail side working for Arthur J. Gallagher and company, which at that time, uh, which is now 35 years ago, uh, was a, a, a fairly small organization. And I would have to imagine that at, at that time, there were probably a lot of bets that, uh, that Gallagher wouldn't be what it is today. Certainly, uh, the company when I joined was about, uh, you know, 80 million in revenue. And today we're, you know, around 6 billion. So I've had a, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of great joy and experiences of being part of an organization that is, has grown so much over the years. Um, and so I, I did that, Paul, for 10 years. I was on the retail side. And it, it's interesting that when we started RPS, um, kind of unknowingly, one of the benefits that I believe gave me and RPS at the very beginning was those 10 years of experience on retail truly understanding what a retailer needs when it comes to a, a wholesale 
or or intermediary relationship. Uh, you know, it's a lot of work. You got to make a lot of phone calls to get one appointment, and you got to make a lot of appointments to get an opportunity. And then when you uh, when you do finally get that opportunity that you've worked so hard to get, uh, and you find out that uh, maybe the the relationships or the markets that you have access to. Uh, aren't interested in that account or there's a twist or a turn that needs some specialized handling or coverage. And so you have to go to a wholesaler or somebody with specialized expertise to get a deal done. And I, my background in retail, knowing how difficult that job is, that you have to perform for your customer. You have to perform for that retailer because, boy, he's gone through an awful lot of work just to get that opportunity. He needs to feed his family. He needs to provide for his firm. And I think that some of those experiences that I had over those 10, 10 years uh, provided for a great foundation of truly understanding what a retail customer wants, deserves, and really needs to be successful. So I, you know, I, I do have a little bit of a varied background in, in both underwriting, retail broking, and then of course the last uh, 24 plus years of leading a uh, wholesale operation. We talked there about what a, a retail customer wants. I mean, I, I appreciate probably every customer is different in their own way, but can you give us some examples of the sort of things that you, you've learned that they, they want? Well, I, I think in, in all of our work, when we do all of our you know customer surveying, customer discussions, all of that, the number one thing, Paul, that comes through uh, just, a, just a huge amount of the time is they want responsiveness. Uh, you know, yes, there are times that we have to provide bad news. You know, sometimes there's you know great news, but they want to hear it. You know, they want to hear from you. If uh, if they send you a submission, they want to hear that it's received and that it's being worked on. They want to hear back from you. They want to hear a progress report. Is you know what are the opportunities? What are we going to be able to, to get done for them? Where have we gone? Uh, what do we think the landscape of the particular account that they're working on is going to? be? What's the outcome? And I think that the responsiveness and just the communication of whatever form that communication might take is ultimately the most important. Now, from there, of course, we all expect that we're going to provide a particular level of expertise and knowledge, uh, market access, all the other things that go along with it. But the number one thing that our customers want and ask for is responsiveness and communication. It's, it's interesting. And tell us a little bit about that that process. And obviously, you, you, I guess you've told us a little bit about where, where the idea came from, but tell us about how you actually went about um, co-founding a business. And, and and I guess for our global audience who are and perhaps not too familiar with, with RPS sort of overseas outside the States, tell us a little bit about you know what the company does and, and how it relates to Gallagher as well. Oh, of course, sure. Well, um, so the, uh, the the foundation was uh, a, a little bit interesting, I suppose. So I, I had moved to Chicago from St. Louis when I was on the retail side. I came up to Chicago to run a, a marketing operation. Uh, and that marketing operation was uh, kind of a captive marketing operation. Uh, they had well, maybe six, seven different specialties that they did, but they were captive to the to the Gallagher organization. And 
my my intent moving up there to take over this operation was to uh, to try uh, and turn it into a to, into a, a wholesale operation. Um, but I'll honestly, Paul, it, it just had the wrong people. Uh, those people weren't uh, used to providing the kind of service that I just described, uh, being responsive, being the number one deal that was on the table, all those kind of things. And so I really, we, we set that business off to the side and um, we, we went about starting risk placement services from scratch. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, it all, always in business, uh, you know, timing, uh, a little bit of luck, a lot of hard work uh, is really the, the recipe that you, you have to have uh, to be able to start a business from scratch and be able to build it to where it is today. And, and all those factors come into play. And so when we looked at the landscape, uh, it was a time back in, uh, in, in the late 90s uh, where a lot of, um, a lot of consolidation not unlike what's going on today was occurring and a lot of the competitors in the wholesale space were being consolidated into other firms and it left a uh, it left an opportunity and an opening for you know, a boutique uh, like RPS to be able to be formed and started and uh, we, we were very, very lucky. We, we, we one day on a, on a Monday, very early Monday morning, uh, we, we rushed to downtown Chicago to meet with two wholesale insurance brokers with a lot of experience, a lifetime experience in, in wholesale. And we were able, their firm was being acquired, uh, the firm that they'd been with for many years. And we convinced them that we were going to build something very different, something that was unique, something that was, uh, you know, ground floor opportunity. Uh, and we were going to give this a, a, a real big shot at success. And uh, somehow, luckily, we were able to convince these uh, two people that, you know, that we were going to do something very different and that they uh, they decided at the end of that morning that they would join us. And, then, and the next day they showed up for work uh, with two assistants and uh, we had rushed back uh, that afternoon. We'd come up with a name. We'd come up with a logo. Uh, and uh, we were in we were in business, and the, really the the course of the next uh, few months was running around, uh, telling our story, trying to make market relationships, which are you know vitally important, of course, when you're in the wholesale business, uh, be able to get our message out to customers, uh, and kind of just figure it all out. And of course, like any other person who has either started a business or is thinking of starting a business. Um, the, the one thing you can't take for granted is, is you got to figure out how to do everything, uh, everything. There's, uh, you know, if, if, the, if the floor needs to be cleaned, uh, you get to clean it because there's nobody else to do that. And uh, if systems have to be developed, uh, you got to figure that out and figure out how that's going to work and accounting and, and everything else that goes along with it. So, uh, you know, it was just a time. Uh, it was a it was a great time to start a wholesale operation uh, again because of the the disruptions and some of the turmoil, and uh, we we ran around and just um, uh, just made made it work for us. And uh, so, like I said, it was a, a lot of luck, a lot of timing, and, and an awful lot of hard work. 
Well, I think the, the success speaks for itself, the, the fact that you're still standing and, and going stronger a, a quarter of a century <laughs> later. Um, but, but tell us a little bit about, the, the I guess, the, the challenges that you faced along the way. And, and indeed, what would you sort of pull out as, as the highlights that you've had? I know it's very mm-hmm. difficult probably to, to summarize this, this sort of period, but you know, maybe you would look back on things and say, yeah, th- they were the most memorable moments for me, or, or maybe they were the, the biggest difficulties that I faced along the way. Yeah, I, you know, in, in our business, um, it always comes down to, um, to the same thing in, in my mind. And I think we all read about it in your publication uh, you know, pretty much every day. It all comes down to uh, the ability, and I'm not going to say my ability or anyone else's ability, but the ab- ability to attract the right kind of talent that fits your culture and your organization and your needs, and then, of course, the needs of your customer base. And we've had a, a tremendous amount of success of, of attracting those kind of people, people who fit our culture and who all want to pull on the, uh, on the, on the rope in the same direction. And we've been just remarkably lucky in our ability to attract the right kind of talent that really fits with uh, you know everyone's understanding of where we're where we're going as a business, and that we expect uh, that everybody's going to work together for the common goal. Uh, and if we all do that, then there will be individual success. And if you have like-minded people like that, you will you will be successful. And so I I would tell you that some of the uh, the, the biggest uh, successes have been around our ability to attract talent. And, you know, you do lose people occasionally along the way. And some of your biggest disappointments will come about in the exact same way when somebody decides that maybe the grass is greener uh, on the other side of the fence and, and jump over it. And those those are those are very, very hurtful and, and it makes for rough times. And uh, uh, so I I would tell you that that's that's really the, the biggest uh, the the biggest uh, opportunities and the biggest obstacles and the biggest challenges is finding the right people to get in the boat with you and, and hopefully row on the same side. And, and as you said uh, a little bit earlier as well, you know that the, there are some um, resemblances between the, the market as it stands now with a lot of consolidation and, and how it was when, when you first started out. So if there are people kind of looking at this market situation and thinking, you know, oh, I'd like to do what Joel did, um, then, then what sort of advice would you give to them? Uh, you know, well, my, my first p- uh, piece of advice is good luck. Um, and, and, and I do, I do truly wish them success because, uh, you know, being, being here in, in the United States, it is the American dream, right? The American dream is to, to start a business and have it thrive and be able to, uh, provide for families. We, we take that that um, responsibility, Paul, to, to heart every day. I mean, my part of, part of my job is obviously to help lead RPS in the right direction and, and make the right moves to help it succeed. But really, at the end of the day, if you think about it, you know, if you, if you have folks who rely on you, who, who work for the firm, uh, it's not just, not just them. In many, many cases, you have, uh, you have an awful lot of families uh, that, that rely on you uh, for that success and to provide people a, a path to success. 
And so it's not just maybe just that person. He's got a, or he or she have a spouse. They may have children at home or children in college or, or all the other things uh, that go along with a, with a family unit. And, uh, you know, that's what you have to think about when you're starting a business. How, how are the actions that I'm going to take and the chances that people take on you as a leader, uh, as a as a starting of a business, uh, for it to succeed, you have to have uh, really good people, and those people are part of a family, and you need to take that uh, seriously into account as you attract people to your new venture. That this is going to be a success, because if it's not a success, it in, it not only impacts you, but it impacts an awful lot of other people. Yeah, and, and when we're talking about market impacts, of course, there's been a huge impact um, over the last year. And you know, I'd, I'd love to to kind of get uh, your insights into the the state of of the the ENS market right now, because obviously that's uh, where where RPS really thrives. Um, Talk to us. Obviously, there's been, you know, on, on one side, you've got COVID and another, you've got a hardening market. Um, how are you dealing with it all? And, and what would you describe as the biggest developments over the last year? Uh, I, I think probably the biggest development is that we've probably all learned um, that uh, even in the face of a lot of adversity and, and, and a lot of unknowns, uh, that we can, uh, as, uh, as human beings, as people, as an economy and as a society that we, we actually are, are um, you know, we're pretty pretty tough group and we're able to, uh, to, to face that, uh, that time, those times of uncertainty and figure it all out, whether it's uh, a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of WebEx calls, a, a, a lot of time uh, working in an environment that, candidly, we weren't used to working in. We were used to, I've got to tell you, for all, uh, I can count on one hand the number of days I actually worked at home in my entire career. And uh, of course, I exceeded that in just one week when the when the pandemic came. But we all figured it out, uh, and we've uh, all, all of us, is, you know, in the insurance business by and large, have all been very successful. We kept the uh, we we kept it going, and you have to do that because a global economy is only supported uh, through and through the advent of insurance. Uh, you can't have a you can't have an economy without without insurance, without people being protected, or shipments being protected, or people having coverage. And I think that as we faced this, all of the things that were going on uh, over the course of the last fourteen or so months, um, we were all able to show that even uh, by working remotely, where we're, we're not together, that we could make this continue to work. And of course, technology has helped us. We probably wouldn't have been able to do this without the, the same technology uh, advances that we have today. Uh, but, but I would tell you that you know it, it, it has been a very uh, difficult environment uh, with an insurance companies having taken major hits and a lot of social inflation and jury awards and different things. Um, but we have, uh, as an industry, succeeded quite well uh, in making it all come together. The customers in, enjoyed a, a very long period of, of soft market environment. And, uh, you know, there, we, we all know uh, that over time, 
that something has to be corrected because you can't continue to provide a product at a price then that is less than uh, what the losses ultimately may be. And so we all knew it was coming. Uh, maybe we, we didn't know when and maybe we didn't know how, how, how impactful it was going to be. Uh, but we knew as insurance professionals that, that that day always comes. Uh, and I would tell you that I think we all probably recognize that the reverse uh, will come uh, sometime, uh, you know, near term, uh, hopefully not this year. Uh, but uh, I think that as, as you talk about the ENS market, the ENS market has always been, uh, through history, the uh, the safety valve to the uh, to the insurance industry in a lot of different ways: personal lines, commercial lines, auto lines, all all different lines. Where when uh, certain people's appetites change or they get uh, adverse to certain risk characteristics, that the surplus lines market is there to step in to provide a solution for all these customers that, that need to and have to buy insurance products. So we've, we've thrived quite well uh, through this period of time. And uh, I think as uh, we look towards uh, the, the shorter and, and longer term future, we will continue to, uh, to, to thrive. So would you say then that, um, you know, in terms of what's happened in the market in general, that perhaps brokers are, are turning more and more to, to the ENS space? Yeah. So one thing, you know, that sometimes, many times get overlooked in our particular space is that we provide um, a knowledge base of, uh, largely across the, 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 the industry. If you need, uh, you know, some retail uh, insurance brokers don't have a, a deep knowledge of, say, directors and officers liability, which is obviously very hot right now, uh, or, uh, you know, healthcare professional, uh, or cyber, or a lot of different lines, or, you know, how, how, to, how to orchestrate a, a large property placement that has, you know, 15, 20 different carriers where terms have to be organized properly, all the different things. And, and the wholesale industry provides that uh, for, the, for our retail customers that if they need deep expertise in a particular line, we are there to not only act as an intermediary to an insurance company that they may not have, but we're also there to provide expertise in a particular line so that we can help them uh, navigate the, that, that particular client's needs. And so uh, while uh, people always look to the wholesale space for uh, times like this where uh, particular accounts are difficult to place, uh, they also look to to us for the specialty and the deep knowledge and expertise that we actually bring to the table. And of course, for for brokers as well. I mean, this has been you know it must be really challenging right now just to have some of those conversations with customers. You know, and to to explain to them you know what what a hard market is and and why certain <laughs> premiums are going up and and you know why they don't have perhaps the options that they had previously. So you know. If you were to put yourself in, in the broker's shoes, um, how can they approach those conversations? Because it's it's tough to deliver bad news. It is difficult. You know, it is difficult. You know, when, the, when the market's soft and the prices are dropping 20%, you know, it's an easy conversation to have. Everybody's 
uh, fairly happy and and uh, and the meetings go uh, quickly uh, when when prices are reversed and prices are going up uh, you know double digits and maybe terms aren't as good as they were before deductibles are different it is a difficult conversation to have because again you know insurances uh, can be expensive for a lot of a lot a lot of customers and I you know I would tell you of course I, I did as I told you earlier in the discussion I, I sat on that side and those conversations are extraordinarily difficult to have and my only suggestion for any retailer and I think they all they all know this you know you need to prepare your client and uh, you need to educate them on what's going on in the industry why prices are going up uh, give them examples give them articles from uh, from your publication on, on what's going on so that they know that you are doing your job and in part of their part of your job as a retailer is to educate that customer on why the dynamics of the industry are such as they are and I've always suggested that retailers go back and show over a long period of time what their cost of risk has been over a longer period of time not compare just one year over uh, another year, but go back maybe six years and show what the costs were as a, as a rate of what that cost was six years ago versus what it is today. And I think what, what most times, not all times, but most times what you see is there's a co closer correlation between what the pricing is today and what the pricing was maybe six years ago. Uh, versus just a year over year, your price went up 30%. Well, that's true. But if you go back, your price was declining by 10, 15, 20% over the course of those times. So what you find is a very much closer correlation to what somebody paid a number of years ago to what they're paying today. And I think people can understand that a little bit better. It, it is, it, you know, it's hard to explain the insurance business because again, as, as we, we, we typically as a, as a carrier, you typically will, um, you know, sell something that you don't know what the ultimate cost is going to be of that product. And so sometimes it's difficult and courts change, laws change, uh, society changes, uh, different things happen, and so you know you you, you don't face the uh, future with perfect certainty. So I, I think although while those conversations are difficult to have, uh, you can have them in such a way that you can prepare your client uh, for for what the what the ultimate is going to be. And I I think we all do a pretty good job today of uh, not not just dropping the uh, dropping the rock on the table, say, well, this is the best you can get. I think we're doing a much better job of educating our customers. Well, you talked there about uh, facing the future. And of course, we've seen a big digital push in light of COVID. Um, do, you, do you think that the ENS market has been ahead of the game with innovation or has it been lagging behind? Yeah, I, I, I would tell you our ability to have freedom of rate and form allows us to be very nimble when it comes to providing a digital solution to uh, to to our customers, uh, we've been we've been out ahead of the digital um, rampage <laughs> uh, for for quite some time. Uh, we began working on uh, offering digital solutions and, and digital 
quotes, binds, and issues for for a number of years now, and and I count back to seven, eight years ago when we first started launching our our digital platforms of providing product, and so we've we've been out ahead of it for for quite some time. Um, you know, I think that we did it in such a way that it was a, a methodical approach. Uh, some today who just take all comers, uh, maybe are experiencing some, uh, some, some loss activity. Uh, we're, we're fortunate in that we haven't quite had that problem, but I, I would agree that uh, people now want to have the option on how they want to buy. Do they want to buy on a phone call? Do they want to buy via email? Do they want to buy 24-7 on a digital platform? How would they like to buy that particular product? Uh, some, uh, I think, uh, Paul, will, will be difficult to digitize uh, and for all to be successful through that digitization. But there are an awful lot of small products and specialty products that will have huge success in digitizing the, the, the process. And if you can make those small, especially those small accounts that just need to get placed, they need to get placed quickly. There's not going to be a lot of, uh, of disparity in price from one uh, product to the other. Uh, the, the best ways many times is for it to be a, a, a digital offering. And um, I, I look uh, I look excited to the future on, on all the different digitization projects that we can have. Yeah, I think that's a terrific summary, Joel. And I, I feel as though we, we, we've only just scratched the surface of the topics we could have talked about today, but we are running a little bit short on time. Before we that's do good. wrap up, um, I, I just wanted to ask you, because I, I understand that you are um, a, a keen cook in your spare time. Is that correct? <laughs> I love to cook. It's probably uh, one of my, my top very few things to do when I'm not when I'm not working, when I'm not traveling. And of course, we all travel a lot in this in this business and uh, traveling makes you uh, go out to eat a lot. Uh, a lot of a lot of you know, great restaurants around. Uh, but when I'm home, I'm cooking. Uh, I don't, we, we rarely go out to dinner when, when we're home. Uh, we enjoy it. it. It's relaxing. It's, it's fun to plan. It's fun to execute. Uh, and it's, and it's fun to try new things. And it could be everything from trying, uh, trying a new walk dish to a new, uh, a new grilling recipe to, uh, uh, my wife is from South Louisiana. So you never know, there might be a crawfish boil in the future too. <laughs> and and what what is what is your delicacy, Joel? If you were to uh, I don't know have a special guest over uh, for a meal, what would you what would you bring up for them? Uh, they're gonna they're gonna get something off the grill, that's for sure. Uh, it, it, it's gonna be something in the uh, Midwest uh, hearty type of uh, ribs or steak or um, uh, or or actually I, I love to uh, I love to cook wings and I think it's uh, they can get a whole lot of different uh, experimentation there and people tend to really enjoy them so I tend to make them you know anytime that uh, people like what you cook you tend to do it over and over again and kind of refine it and make it even better so it's uh, th those are those are fun things for me and and I just find a lot of enjoyment in doing it I'm sure there's a few people listening who are thinking, a man who likes to cook, but then <laughs> you, you, you talked about wings and ribs and so on. I think, yeah, okay, that sounds like a man who likes to cook. Uh, Love to cook. Yeah, um, that, that's fantastic, Joel. You've, you've made me very, very hungry. Uh, you've also given us some brilliant insights today. Been a real pleasure to have you join us. And, and to everybody listening, um, we hope you will join us too next time here on IB Talk. 
Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you.